You got the call. Welcome to the big leagues, kid. Welcome to the call-up presented by Triple Play Fantasy. And even though the Red Sox season is over, which means officially for everyone, it is football season, we're going to go ahead and stick with the prospect goods for you because we know that's what you come here for. Um, And unfortunately, not only is baseball season over and it's officially football season, Vinny, uh, if you're watching, you've already noticed this, but if you're listening, Vinny is actually on the IL, emphasis on the I, because he's got an eye scratch this week. And so uh, it's just going to be me, our guest, who we'll get to in a little bit. And of course, as always, we've got MP Richards, 1981. Michael, how's it going? Hey, Josh, glad to be here with you this week. As you said, our boy Vinny had to take the week off, but I'm happy our guest was willing to step up and go on with the show. And this is a man that caught my eye on social media early this year. He posts a lot of cool stuff. Some of it's way above my head, but all very useful information. And I'm definitely not the most advanced when it comes to like analytics and graphs. So I'm happy to have him here with us today. And I have no doubt I'm about to learn something new. Yeah, so uh, you're kind of you're kind of stealing my spiel a little there, Michael. But uh, kind of hinting already uh, with Vinny on the IL. Of course, we have to call up someone else, and uh, this week that's going to be our guest. I, I'm not going to say I'm not going to ask him to fill Vinny's shoes because I don't think anyone can can fill uh, what what does the chat like to call him prospect Domus, whatever whatever you guys like to call him. I don't. I think Vinny has shoes that are too big to fill, but. As Michael hinted at, we've got a pretty great guest for you this week. Pretty unique um, way of looking at things here. He uh, His name is Thomas Nestico, but if you probably know him on Twitter at TJ Stats or on Patreon as TJ Stats, I'm going to be refer- referring to him as either TJ or Stats throughout the episode. Um, and he, uh, according to his, his Twitter, is uh, both a baseball and a hockey fan. And what he really specializes in, it just takes one quick look at his Twitter, is these really cool graphics, which he makes using Python. Uh, so basically, he's a nerd and he's Canadian. That's why he likes hockey, I think. But uh, TJ, I'm going to ask you the same three questions. I ask all the new guests. So of course, the first question is why Python and not R? Ask this to all the guests. Why why Python and not R? Wow, all your guests, <laughs> the same yeah, question. Um, I actually started off with R. Um, I found it pretty, pretty useful and easy to learn. But then I took some courses in university and Python grabbed my caught my eye and just it just felt easier and just it's just easy to use and easy to share with people too. A lot of support on that end too. So I find it just a great language. R is fantastic too. Both phenomenal languages, both for data analytics. I just found Python kind of stuck with me more when I was using it. 
I'm already seeing the your Canadian tendencies is you're making sure to while shooting down R, make sure everyone knows still great. I still love R. You're just you're being nice towards R there, TJ. Uh, living up to the stereotypes. But uh yes, I'm actually the opposite of you. I learned Python first, and then when I came across R, I was like, this is way easier. And so I use R and not Python. So that's why I asked that. Of course, I don't actually ask all of our guests that. But our second question, I totally ask all of our guests, and that is, who is your favorite hockey team? My favorite hockey team? It's not the Leafs. I am from Toronto, but it's not the Leafs. They've uh, disappointed Very me and my, my family uh, plenty of times. So I'm not particularly a Leaf fan. If they start doing well in the playoffs, I might be. But I guess I don't really have a favorite team. I guess I'm more of like a fan of the players. Um, so the specific players, I guess I might root for their team specifically, but in general, just a hockey fan, nothing too. Like, I don't want to like get my heart broken by any team. Well, if anyone was watching last week, they would have seen me in my Colorado avalanche Jersey. And so I did search all of your Twitter to see if you had any tweets about the abs. And I did see that one of your favorite players, at least is Gabriel Landeskog. Unfortunately, I don't know how much more we'll get to see him play, at least in the NHL, but. I'm I'm happy to have a fellow Gabriel Landeskog player here. And again, we're we're talking things probably most of our listeners and Michael included is like, what are you guys talking about? So how about this? How about for the, the third question? I want to know, uh, why is Ottawa and not Toronto the capital of Canada? Why is Ottawa and not Toronto the capital of Canada? So we learned this in history class. Ottawa we don't learn is kind of in the U.S. We don't do that here. Well, in Canadian history, um, Ottawa is kind of the the border between Upper and Lower Canada. I guess right now you can consider that like Ontario and Quebec. So Ottawa kind of like lies on the border there. So it's kind of like the midpoint between the two places. So that's why Ottawa is um, is considered the capital or is the capital of Canada. See, we uh, uh, I don't know if you've you've seen Hamilton, TJ, but according to the musical Hamilton. Uh, we picked our capital uh, because it was used as a leveraging point to uh, get some secret uh, deals done in the room where it happened. So uh, uh, just America being classic sneaky. And I didn't mean that we don't teach like when I said we don't teach history and you're like, well, obviously you don't teach Canadian history in the U.S. I, I don't know how how much we can say we really teach history very well but that again beyond the scope of this podcast how about we get to what everyone came here for let's get into the prospects and tj i'm gonna head right back to you as of course as always following the same format we're gonna head into our players of the week and for our first player of the week tj you're going with your hitter as Drake Baldwin. And if the listeners, if any of you are saying who you are not alone, I had not heard of this guy before Thomas threw him on our sheet. Um, but uh, Sir Drake here, I know he's only rostered in 1% of Vantrax leagues, which means he's a, he's going to be available. So if you like what TJ has to say about this guy, make sure to check out your league. It's Drake Baldwin catcher for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, TJ, why don't you tell us a little bit about Drake Baldwin? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Drake Baldwin had quite possibly the best week I've ever seen of any minor leaguer this season. Um, he hit 550 um, with a 1250 slugging. That's not his OPS, it's his slugging. Um, it was insane. Actually, he got promoted yesterday to double A. 
Um, so he hasn't played any games this week thus far. But other than that, he's been unbelievable. Um, some stats here. His walk percentage is ridiculous, 15.1%, a 20.7 strikeout rate. Uh, in general, uh, he kind of started off a bit slow, um, not too crazy, kind of dipped down um, during the middle of the season. But lately, he's been nuclear. I, I like It's like night and day of how he was earlier this season. Um, he was a so he's 22 years old. He was the a third round pick in the 2022 draft by Atlanta, um, and there are a few plots I would like to show on on uh, coming up here. Um, so the first one's going to be is a woba, is a rolling woba. So I didn't just, uh, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, TJ, but I should have mentioned earlier. Bad job hosting by me. Uh, this is an episode you are going to want to watch because TJ has actually prepared quite a few really cool plots for you. So if you're watching, you're um, you're looking at one right now. If you're listening to this via podcast, I'd recommend pausing pulling up our YouTube channel at Triple Play Fantasy uh, so you can see these plots that TJ has made for us. They're really cool and a, a really advanced and unique way uh, to look at things. And the way TJ does the the grass makes it really easy to understand. So he's going to walk us through a few of them uh, right now. And he's he's been kind enough to prepare this uh, for all the players he's going to be talking about today. So TJ, why don't you continue? We're looking at Drake Baldwin and his rolling WOBA. Yeah, for sure. So this plot you're seeing right now is his 100 uh, plate appearance rolling WOBA. So uh, WOBA, the weighted on base average, kind of like a nice catch-all statistic for um, just for a batter in general. And we can see here he's in the 87th percentile this season. Um, and again, he started off pretty average, above average, around the 75th percentile. But then he tanked pretty much halfway through the season around... 200 plate appearance, 250, all the way down to around 250 uh, Woba. But lately, it's been way on the uprise. He's absolutely shattered the ceiling here. He almost broke my plot. Um, uh, only a few players I've seen have done that this season. One is including Jackson Churio right after the All-Star break, shot way over that 500. Just hilarious. And Baldwin is kind of approaching that. And he got rewarded with a, with a, with a call-up to double-A. So I guess the Braves like what they see in him, and they're uh, going to see how he does in Double A. Um, the next plot we have coming up is the whiff, uh, his rolling whiff percentage here. So I'm kind of seeing how his. So lately, um, as you noticed before, the woba was way through the roof, but now his whiff percentage is now all the way to the 90th percentile. So those kind of like fall in line. So he's actually making more contact and making better contact overall as as uh, identified both by his Woba and his whip percentage here for the seasons around the 62nd percentile and only really got to like a poor stage uh, around the 10th percentile during that slump he had in the middle of the season. But overall, he's been pretty good making contact. Uh, anything above 50% is pretty good, especially for a young hitter. Um, and so the next part we have here is walk minus K percentage. Uh, again, another story, same thing his little lull in the middle of the season. And now he's back up to the uh, over zero um, lately. So he's walking more than he's striking out and he's in the 80th percentile for the season. So again, he has great plate discipline. Um, good has pretty solid contact skills and pretty good at getting the ball in play and getting it for hits. And the last plot we have for him here is his swing percentage. Um, one thing that um, we usually note with prospects is 
his is um, a very high walk rate uh, is indicative of a very low swing rate, or at least a result of a very low swing rate. One example of this is Emmanuel Rodriguez. He runs swing rates in the fifth percentile, even lower sometimes. Um, but Baldwin's actually not 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 that passive. He's uh, in the 30th percentile, again, below average. But in general, a lower swing rate usually results in higher wobas, more walks, um, less strikeouts in general. Um, but Baldwin isn't being too passive at the plate, which is very, which is which is a fantastic sight to see, especially seeing how how his uh, how his walk rate has been phenomenal this season. I, I got to say, TJ, I really appreciate that on the graphs you put the percentile markings because so often I look at his stat and I've looked at enough stats now to know when it's generally good or generally bad. But being able to see exactly where it ranks up against every all of his, you know, I, don't, I mean, competitors, I guess you would call them, uh, is quite cool and very, very helpful. So it's, it is a, a huge uh, thing that you are being able to bring to the table uh, this week. Uh so I appreciate that. Now, I did have a question. I was wondering, you know, how did you stumble on this guy that uh, I had never heard of? He's not even rostered in my 30-team dynasty league. Only 1% rostered in fan tracks. And then I was doing research, and I think I have a theory, and I want to hear how close I am here on my theory. As, as I've mentioned and joked about, you are a Canadian, and I noticed that Drake Baldwin here, I don't know if you knew this, was a standout hockey player in high school so i want to know is there a little bias here you're you're a hockey guy yourself rooting a little bit here for your fellow hockey lovers i was unaware that trick ball and played hockey i again i didn't really hear about him until maybe a week ago either um but the thing that really caught my eye is um i was just doing some analysis looking through kind of like the uh i guess the all the prospects from triple a to a that had the best Woba in the past week or two weeks or so. And he was number one. Like he was just off the charts, like better than everyone else. And I was like, let me take a look at this guy. And lo and behold, he's out of the hood. Everything looks pretty solid and phenomenal that he got the call yesterday to go to double A. Exactly. When a team validates a player's hot streak, if you want to call it that, and they validate it by giving them a promotion, that's a pretty good sign that at least something they're doing to create this hot streak is pretty legit. So Drake Baldwin, definitely a name to keep your eye on. Now, Michael, I'm finally going to go back to you here. You had to sit there quietly and listen to us talk about nerdy coding languages and hockey and all this stuff. And I've been, I've been keeping you silent. So I'm going to, I'm going to unleash you now. Uh, and we're going to go to your hitter, Victor Scott, the second of the St. Louis Cardinals. He is an outfielder and all it takes is one Twitter search of this guy to see why he is known as the Man of Steel, which is just such a sick nickname, I must say. Uh, He has a whopping 83 stolen bases on the year. You can see it on the screen, 83 stolen bases on the year. Michael, why don't you tell us about Victor Scott II? Yeah, so Victor Scott's a young man I've had on my radar most of the season, but haven't really found the right spot to profile him. Since we're coming down the stretch of the regular season, I just want to make sure we get him in before the season ends. He's been particularly hot at the plate lately, so I think it's we, we won't find a better opportunity than the present time. Over the last 10 days, he's hitting 452 with a 1281 OPS, two homers and five steals. Scott was originally signed as a fifth-round pick in 2022 out of West Virginia, 
He struggled as a freshman and sophomore, but broke out as a junior with six homers and the school record 38 steals in 55 games. He doesn't have scouting grades listed on Fangraphs, but MLB.com has him listed with an average hit tool, below average power, and 80 grade speed. They also have him listed as a double plus defender, so it's pretty clear what type of player he profiles as on paper. Scott is the son of two college track athletes and immediately became the fastest player in the entire St. Louis system when he was signed. StatCast measured him with multiple sub four home to first times in the Florida State League. And that speed is carried into his first full season. He's He's been consistently near the top of the minor league stolen base leaderboard all year. His speed also makes him a natural center fielder with tons of range. And he could be a future gold glover in center if he's able to hit enough at the highest level. Scott struck out more than you'd like to see in college, but he, he chalked it up to getting out of his approach to chase home runs. And he's adjusted to more of a line drive approach in the minors. And while... He's, he used to sell out for the power with like an uphill swing. He hasn't like shown much pop with these new adjustments in the pro game, but I think that suits his playing style. Overall, this is clearly one of the fastest players in the minor leagues, and he probably won't ever get to notable power, but his hit tool feels underrated, and the speed could be a game changer for Roto Leagues. The fact that he projects as an elite defender only increases the likelihood he'll be given an opportunity to develop his bat. The range of outcomes is still pretty wide, in my opinion. He could be anything from an elite leadoff hitter to a nine-hole speed threat to a bench bat that's used more as a part-time player for his defense and legs. But I'd certainly target Scott in any type of roto league. And speed has made a comeback in our game, but there aren't many players capable of approaching 100 steals in a season. And you know that's worth investing in to me to see how it pans out. You know We're seeing the impact of a player like Estrella Ruiz had the season without much power. So Scott could end up having that similar type of monster speed threat down the road. I say it every time uh, you guys bring up one of these speed guys, but I love it when I hear uh, the that, that they can steal a lot of bases but also have a reason to play every day. And like you're saying with Victor Scott, that uh, potential elite defense uh, should keep him on the field and keep him quite valuable in uh, in a Roto League. And, of course, if your points league is a two-point two stolen base league also in a, in a league like that, um, of course I, I – the concern for me always, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, of my cheat code doesn't always work, but it's pretty good when it comes to these Cardinals prospects, particularly the ones in the outfield, um, acquire them. You got to get them. Uh, and then if they stay with the Cardinals organization, you sell high on them because the Cardinals organization seems to, uh, somehow the, the, I don't know if it's their huge fandom over inflates these guys to get to the major. They don't quite perform as you expect. I'm thinking of Jordan Walker or uh, Tyler O'Neill, or as Cardinals fans call him for O'Neill, another, another sick nickname. But then if Scott moves to a different organization, such as like a Randy, a Rose arena or a Lane Thomas, then I'm keeping him around and he's going to be a stud. Of course, I'm course I'm kidding. It's not that simple, but, uh, a, Car- a Cardinals prospect is always a, a guy to keep your hands on because uh, they're a great organization that develops players and the hype train from their fans is always immense. But we got we got our clock ticking up here as uh, we've got to keep moving. So we're going to move from our hitters to our pitchers and we're going to go back to you, TJ. And I've got to say uh, thanks this time for giving me at least one player today who I didn't have to do a ton of research just to figure out who it was, uh, you've gone with the former third overall pick of the Detroit Tigers. It's Jackson Job. 
Uh, why don't you tell us, TJ, a little bit as uh, as to why uh, you are excited from what you're seeing from Job as he continues to make it back from a lower back injury that kept him out until June this year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Jackson Job, former again third overall pick in 2021 by the Tigers. He's been pretty phenomenal this season. Um, has kept his walk rate minuscule. It's around three percent over the three levels bit across. Um, yesterday he had another fantastic outing similar to last week. He's just been he just looks like he's overpowering all the hitters he's facing. Um, great strikeout rate, phenomenal K to ball rate, um, K to ball ratio as well. Um, the ground ball rate could be a bit better, but in general, he just looks fantastic. He's not walking many guys. Um, giving up a fair amount of homers, but again, he missed most of the season with a lower back injury and had some issues again when he was drafted and um, last year as well. Um, and there are a few plots we have for him as well that I'd like to showcase. So the first one is his rolling called strike um, plus whip percentage. Um, again, called strike plus whip percentage, uh, phenomenal, um, phenomenal metric. Um, the guys at Picture List, they kind of like have a whole article about um, its predictiveness and its descriptiveness and how it kind of just, just it's just a great statistic to um, kind of like look at a pitcher's performance. And Jackson Job in high A has uh, been one of the best pitchers there um, and is backed up by pretty much all his metrics, a 94th percentile um, rolling uh, rolling CSW percentage. And as well, it's been kind of creeping up lately as well. Um, we got another plot as well. Um, this is rolling K minus walk ratio. So again, as I mentioned before, his walk rate is minuscule and it's also kind of amped up by that great strikeout rate he's running to so we're a 98th percentile in high a um and then he was again both in single did the same thing in single a and in the complex league this year so again phenomenal season so far for him and um, we have another plot um this is a scatter plot now of the pitchers in high a and single a with a minimum of 150 plate appearances um there's only one pitcher I don't have their name right now, but there's one pitch that has a lower walk rate than him. Um, I have a feeling it's Zebby Matthews, but I have not confirmed that yet. Um, but yeah, he again, he has an above average K rate, um, pretty well above average K rate, and an absolutely minuscule walk rate, which is something you really want to see from a pitcher, especially a young pitcher. Um, we have another plot coming up. Um, it's just his whip percentage, again, kind of um, showing... Uh, like kind of his his stuff pretty much and again according to Eno Saris's stuff plus model because um, there is um, StatCast data for single A players and he does play in a park where um, they do have StatCast um, his stuff plus on the year was 129 which is phenomenal um, for overall it's what well, I would be near the top like 90th percentile the MLB so his stuff is really good, and he's just shoving, shoving and at all the levels he's played so far. Is there one more plot coming up? Is it his walk rate? Again, 100 percentile walk. So this guy does not walk anyone. Uh, he doesn't like he's like he's acting like he's George Kirby down in high A, um, which, again, that's a very high striker rate are always cool and something you really want, but a, a very low walk rate while also having a strong whiff rate and a CSW. Uh, it's just showing like he has phenomenal location. He was able to just get batters out. And again, the last plot here is rolling K percentage. Again, not near, not, the, not on the upper echelon of high A pitchers, but again, 
80th percentile. Can't really complain about that, especially coming back from a long-term injury. And he's just one picture I'm very excited uh, excited about. Um, there was, again, when he got drafted third overall, there was a lot of hype around him. And again, he kind of fell off prospects lists um, last year following some injuries and this year too. But he's kind of like made a name for himself again. And the pick, the Detroit Tigers pick, uh, it's looking really solid for them. TJ, do you know, you mentioned Eno Saris's model for the Stuff Plus. Do you happen to know the location plus on um, yeah. Job? The location plus he's at, uh, I guess, 100 right now, and the pitching plus is at uh, 109. So he might be getting a little away with it with his location plus, but about, again, being, being an average location plus, because it's all trained off of major league data, so it's like he's an average uh, MLB location. Is an average MLB location for a guy that's in high A that's only have like around a hundred innings in his professional career. Man, it's such a it's such a bummer that it seems like, and this is just the thing with pitching. This is why some people just don't believe they're pitching prospects, which I just firmly disagree with. But we don't have to get into that today. But so many of these awesome awesome prospects just have these concerns with their with their injury luck and the health and the number of innings they're able to throw and i it's unfortunate but job is another one of those guys um you did briefly mention it um but he had i think 77 innings pitch last year 48 so far this year um but he's off it's obvious when he's on the field he's gonna be a stud and it's not like a lot of the other um top pitching prospects that have some risk that a lot of those guys seem to struggle with control. As you mentioned that the graph you showed for the walk rate where when it, when it was at its worst was 90th percentile is just absolutely nuts. This is absolutely a guy that should be a stud by all means. It's just a question of, you know, pitching isn't good for the human body. So, so can he keep it up? But uh, your graph show right there, why you, you should be all in on Jackson Job. Um, if he is healthy, Michael, why don't we go to your pitcher, a guy who has become well-known amongst the prospect circles, but not a guy who uh, was known right away like Job was, uh, cause he was drafted much later in the draft, but I actually want to highlight that real quick before I let you talk about him. We're talking about David Festa of the Minnesota twins. And this is a great example of why sometimes prospecting is just easy. Just trust the organization because this here, the Minnesota twins is an organization that seems to be able to find pitching gems late in the draft year in and year out. I've got a list real quick. 2017, they got Bailey Ober in the 12th, 2018, they got Winder in the seventh, 2019, they got Varland in the 15th, all three of those guys major league guys we've seen pitch well in the majors and then of course uh skipping 2020 no late picks that year to 2021 that's where we come across this guy david festa he was taken in the 13th michael why don't you tell us how the minnesota twins knocked it out of the ballpark again with another one of these late pitchers so yeah when you do prospect analyst stuff for long enough you inevitably find there are certain players that kind of slip under your radar for whatever reason and i mean there's so many players to keep track of. And I think it's fair to say Festa fits that camp for me. I mean, I'm aware of him, but I'd never really done a deep dive into what makes him notable. So this is kind of an interesting one for me. His, his season stats, particularly his ratios don't necessarily jump off the page, but there's a lot to be intrigued about when you look a little deeper. 
Scouting grades wise, he's listed with a plus fastball, plus slider, above average change with plus command. In the three pitch mix, all grading above average or, or better is notable in its own right. But I, I simply don't see many pitching prospects with good stuff listed with plus command. And this combination alone makes me very intrigued, intrigued in him. And, and to be honest, I think it's it's safe to say he's probably underrated at this moment because of the surface stats don't match that yet. A one three four whip doesn't necessarily scream plus command, but I see it more as a sign that he's still growing and there's obviously still risk involved with him like any pitcher, but players with this combination going with them typically aren't under the radar as much as he feels like still. And the moment his surface stats start matching the scouting grades, he's going to be well inside top hundred lists. And his fastball has already gained massive velo since joining the twins. It averaged around 91 when he was in college at Seton hall, but it's now in the mid nineties and touches 98 to 99. His high spin slider is thrown in the mid to upper eighties and has good swing and miss pitch for him. And, while the changeup looks like an average offering, it produced a 41% miss rate in uh, when he got to high A. And Festa's also been working on adding a curve. It's fringe average right now, but he's already gotten better at landing it in the zone with his fastball playing well at the top of the zone. Like a 12-6 type curve would profile well if he tunnels it off the fastball. So from a dynasty perspective, all the usual caveats apply as it comes to pitching prospects. There's inherent risk involved in pitchers in general, but finding hidden gems is a big part of the process. Festa is a pitcher with three above average plus pitches plus command that's already in double A. I'm not suggesting he's a complete unknown. Like you said, some people do know him, but I just sense that he's not on the minds of many managers. And that always feels like a great time to stash someone with upside. And I'm actually a little surprised he hasn't received more mainstream love yet. I think it's probably because of the stats. I, I think it's safe to say this is one of my favorite under the radar pitchers going into the off season. And it wouldn't shock me to see him up in the majors next year. And he might even be like a sneaky late round pick and like draft and hold leagues that, pays huge dividends if he pops i uh i really like uh a pitcher like festa who you mentioned the the pitch offerings he has he has a great fastball he's a good slider and then the scouts may not love the changeup as much but a changeup is a pitch that we know the least about um just take uh brian bayo for example the red sox obviously nasty changeup obviously great results on the changeup the models, the scouts—they didn't necessarily—they well, didn't necessarily realize how good the changeup was coming up. Uh, so when we see great results on a changeup, that always piques my interest. And then, of course, with that pitch mix, if he can figure out how to get that curveball he's trying to add working, this is a guy that's going to absolutely ascend. So if you hear any rumblings in the off season that he's figured something out with that curveball, you gotta get this kid. He is going to be a stud if that if he can add a curveball uh, to that offering he already has and of course again the minnesota twins i just trust them with pitchers so another really good guy you've called out for us there michael um but we got to keep moving and of course we're halfway through which means it's time for the notable prospects and of course once again this week we got a red sock which means i've got to play the red sox call up music um Unfortunately, I've got to stop it because while there is a Red Sox on this list, there are two New York Yankees, which means they've got us beat this week, and both are pretty big names. So I'm just going to run through the names real quick, um, and then I'm going to ask Michael and Thomas uh, to each give me one guy that they would be targeting in a redraft league and one guy that they would be avoiding in a redraft league. Um, But the names are uh, Jason Dominguez of the New York Yankees. Boo. 
uh, Sedani Rafaela of the of the Red Sox, a, a correct call by Michael a couple weeks back that he was going to get the call. It was a good job, Michael, there. Um, everyone make sure to clap clap for the Red Sox prospect. Uh, then we've got uh, Ronnie Mauricio of the New York Mets, and we can clap for him too because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So any New York Met, I love to see. Uh, but then we've got Austin Wells of the Yankees. And moving on, we've got Jordan Wicks. Who Vinny? I, I don't know, Michael. Do we want to give Vinny credit for breaking the news that Jordan Wicks was going to get the call during the podcast last week? Yeah, it was news to me, so I'm giving him credit. I mean, he he somehow saw through some rumors on Twitter from like accounts with like 200 followers, and he knew Jordan Wicks was getting the call. And then, of course, the the Cubs' latest call up today: an outfielder. It wasn't Pete Crow Armstrong. It was Alexander Canario. Um, but I'm going to throw it to, I'm going to throw it to you, Thomas first. Why don't you give me, uh, one guy here that you would target and redraft and one that you would avoid. Yeah. So I think the one that has like the best, like batted ball statistics, um, is Ronnie Mauricio. Um, his max EV this season is 116 miles per hour. That sits in the 98th percentile. Um, he's not whiffing that much either. Uh, he's in the 60th percentile there. Um, his only big concern is his chase rate and I guess also a playing time concern. I'm not too sure how the Mets are going to approach him uh, and use him in the lineup, but all his metrics look fantastic. And I, I would target him in my league, especially um, if you're either weak at third base or shortstop. And one I would probably avoid, I'd say maybe Austin Wells um, catching prospects. They usually get a <laughs> great choice. Great choice. They usually don't get the most, Playing time as well um, might be a little crowded in New York. Um, they are a mess right now. So maybe they just want to see how, what they have with him and let him run with it. But in general, I think there's other catch- catchers you can probably find, like Hunter Goodman, um, just to kind of fill the gap there. I don't think Austin Wells is too big of a targeted redraft leagues. Michael, what about you? Yeah, these are always tough for me because I, I view prospects differently in redraft and dynasty. Uh, the player I would probably most avoid in in redraft is Alexander Canario. I just think he has too much swing and miss in his game still, but he's also the type of guy who could get hot for a month and do well, so I'm a little hesitant there. Uh, the guy I, I like the most, which is surprising to me, is probably Jordan Wicks because I trust pitchers at this stage more. I think there's a better chance that he can deliver fantasy value for the next five weeks than... I would trust any of these hitters to be playing every day and productive for, but I, but all the hitters above Jordan Wicks on this list, most of them, at least I would definitely value more long-term. And I, and of course I I'm trying to prevent myself from talking about the Red Sox too much on the podcast. Cause even I can tell it's too much. Um, but I will just say a quick note about Rafaela. The Red Sox did elect today to keep him up over David Hamilton when Willier Abreu came back. They played Rafael in his first start at shortstop, uh, which was interesting. That's his secondary position uh, in the minors, or at least it has been the last couple years. And they hit him leadoff. So I don't know. The Red Sox have been pretty non-committal to him, so there is that risk that he goes down, but it is at least a good sign that they gave him a run at shortstop. And we know that the Red Sox also have awful center field defense, and he's an 80-grade center fielder. Um, so he's someone the Red Sox could really use. 
I don't know why they're being non-committal. There's just weird things going on with the Red Sox right now. Uh, I don't want to talk about that anymore. So let's move on to the prospect watch. Of course, these are guys that we are keeping our eye on at the lower levels. We just can't take our eyes off them. And I'm going to go right back to, uh, to TJ with another guy whose name I did not know, but when I looked into him is a name I probably should have known. Um, it's Jace. It's pronounced Borfin. However, it is spelt B-O-H-R-O-F-E-N. But it, So it looks like three syllables and it's spelt a little weird, but it's Jace Borfin. Again, that's B-O-H-R-O-F-E-N. He's an outfielder for, oh, here we go. It's a Canadian. He's on Toronto. That's why TJ picked this kid. Or not really. Maybe it's just because he's absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. TJ, why don't you tell us? Is it because he's from Toronto or is it because he's a stud? Um, he's probably both. <laughs> but he, Jace Borfin, I'm not sure if the numbers there are, those might be Baldwin stats, but Borfin, um, he's only played, um, again, only played at the Complex League and also single A this um, this year. Um, and he's just tearing the cover off the ball. He, he might be considered the hottest um, player out of the draft this season. Um, he has a phenomenal barrel rate is in 17, uh, 17%, which is astronomically high. Again, only 35, um, 35 samples. But in general, he's been one of the hottest hitters. Um, he has the second most home runs of any draftee. Um, he has the second highest slugging at any draftee. Uh, he's just been otherworldly. And um, he kind of graded out well um, with, um, according to the MLB, um, in their draft rankings, other prospects um, wasn't considered the best defender, but serviceable. But yeah, it was mo- he was mostly drafted for his bat, and he's kind of showing it right now. Um, he's 22 years old, or he's approaching 22 in single A. So again, kind of near the league average there. Maybe a bit older than what we would want from a uh, from a guy in low A tearing the cover off the ball. But he's just been fantastic. And again, in Dunedin. Um, with the Blue Jays play, they have all the stack cast metrics there, so it's easy to kind of get a read on him. And I have some plots that I've prepared as well. So again, a very small sample size, so there's gonna be a lot of peaks and valleys and jumps in these plots. But again, his barrel percentage has been fantastic, to say the least. Um, low A barrel percentage aren't um, too too great. The average is around four percent, and his is all the way up to seventeen percent, so sitting in the ninety eighth percentile. I'm actually surprised. There are players with higher barrel percentage. I should probably take a look and see who those guys are. Um, I think there's another plot as well as zone contact. So again, he's just making contact. He's not not missing when he swings. Uh, again, combine that with some some pretty solid power and uh, lifting the ball more. Recipe for success. And is there and is then his O swing? So yeah, he's one of the best um, players in uh, low A with uh with chasing as well so again a nice combination of power and play discipline something and you want to see with every prospect and again just from a recent draftee um his average exit velocities aren't too great his max ev is only 106 which would sit him near the bottom of the mlb but again he did just get drafted kind of a fresh new guy so hopefully over the summer he kind of uh puts on some muscle and can continue tearing the cover off the ball uh, next season. 
Uh, TJ, have you had a chance to look through other first-year player drafts uh, guys enough to know where you'd be taking someone like Borfin right now? Where he's clearly intriguing, um, obviously not one of the, the top of the top guys, even though his performance is, is matching those guys. But do, do you have an idea yet, or is that uh, you're just kind of dipping your toes for the uh, for right now? Yeah, I think I'm just dipping my toes. Because, again, there are some, some first-year guys that are just like the guys that were drafted really high are also just tearing it up and they're way more highly touted than Borfin was. But again, Borfin, maybe like that, if you're doing a first year player draft, he could be a nice snag a little later. Um, Cause again, is kind of going under the radar, but he's putting up similar numbers to like Colt Emerson and Matt Shaw, guys like that. So he seems like a pretty solid player. And again, a little bit old for the, for the level, but um, I'm sure Toronto will try and push him up quickly if he continues to play like this yeah i think it's good he's an sec guy and so to see him performing at a level he should be performing at is good and i think they'll get him up to where he needs to be soon enough he's clearly ripping the cover off the ball uh but michael also adds a guy for us and michael's typically been our first year player draft guy of late but this time he he is uh going uh with a guy who i must say conveniently Michael waited until Vinny had to hit the IL to uh, to pick this kid because it is a Chicago Cub here. It is Kevin, and I always met this last name. There's just way so many ways to say it, so I'm I'm blanking exactly. But it's Kevin Alcantara. Um, Michael, why don't you why don't you tell us uh, why you waited until Vinny wasn't on the podcast to pick uh, this kid? Yeah, so I, this week I went searching for the hottest hitter in the lower levels that I haven't covered this season and landed on Cubs outfielder Kevin Alcantara. And it's only fitting that I'd profile a Cubs player the week Vinny isn't here because he'd be able to throw in some more insider knowledge I don't really have access to at the stage. But this is a young man I've been intrigued by since he was an international signing by the Yankees back in 2018. He was the centerpiece of the Anthony Rizzo deal in 2021 and his slowly been working his way through the system. He's one of those prospects that feels like he's been around forever and pulling up his scouting grades. He's listed with by fan graphs with a 35 grade hit tool, which I think is too harsh double plus raw power and above average speed. So clearly if I felt that hit tool grades accurate, I wouldn't even really consider him a viable fantasy prospect, but anything worse than below average, I don't really trust will make it work in the majors long-term. And obviously the hit tool is the weak spot in his game, but his K rates and contact percentage aren't as bad for a player with, with his level of power and speed and age, you know, through, you know, his, his he has a large frame, which results in naturally long, like right-handed swing. He keeps his stroke relatively compact and makes a lot of hard contact and hitting the ball harder than most players his age. As he continues to add more strength, learns how to pull and lift the pitches more frequently, he could develop into a legit 30 home run hitter. And he'll probably always have be a power over hit guy, but his willingness to take walks and use the opposite field bodes well for his performance long-term. I mean, very few players this tall move as well as he does, and he has twitchy athleticism, solid speed, good instincts on the bases and in the outfield. He's been a center fielder most of his pro career, but he's played right field alongside Pete Crow Armstrong when they were teammates together, and he has the arm strength required for that position. From a dynasty perspective, we're talking about a six foot six, lanky, toolsy outfielder who hasn't looked overmatched as a pro and is on the verge of the upper levels. Next season will be a big step to find out where exactly he stands. He was already, he's already added to the 40-man roster this offseason, so there's a bit of pressure on him to pick up his development. It's possible he ends up hitting the wall in AA, but there's clearly still notable upside in his profile, and 
this is one of those rare players that I could see a logical argument for selling in Dynasty while he still has value or buying for relatively cheaply and hoping he takes that next step in his development. You know, the my favorite thing that you said throughout that, and I, I wrote it down exactly here, maybe give or take like six or seven words, but you said the Yankees made their greatest mistake ever, which is saying a lot for a sorry excuse of an organization by trading this guy away. So I, re- I appreciated that, Michael. I thought that was very insightful, and I'm glad to see he's no longer a Yankee. Uh, but your actual question, of course, I've got to ask you. I've asked it every week. Michael, how about you rank your top three in the first-year player draft? Uh, I still don't have an answer to that, but I have thought about it more since you keep bringing it up. And, you know, it, it, just, it really does. It really does come down to which what you value more. If you value a high upside pitcher, there are going to be more hitters that come along like Cruz and Skeen or like Cruz and Langford in the future. But p- pitchers like Skeens don't come along very often. He has more risk, but any league where pitching is valued more than normal, I would go with Skeens one. Wow. We're finally, we're finally getting uh, some definitive answer there. And I, I, I don't know, maybe I'll just keep sneaking that question in every, every week until it's uh, until the draft has passed for everyone. We do have two more players left for you though. Uh, and it is our who's next section. We are the call up. So who's next to get the call. And this week uh, I'm going to pull this away. We just uh, guys, we got two cheaters here. Neither of you guys <laughs> <laughs> really f- followed the rules, but honestly, I think that's fair. We've talked about most of the guys that are already getting called up now and the guys who are going to get called up. We've also talked about a lot. So we're bending the rules a little bit this week. Uh, TJ, we'll start with your guy who is literally on a rehab assignment. So I, I'm not sure that really, I don't know. We're pushing it, pushing it a little there, uh, but it is Mason Miller of the uh, Oakland athletics. Again, he's on a rehab assignment right now because he did show up in the majors earlier this year. Uh, but I'm going to give you a pass because he still hasn't thrown enough uh, innings to graduate from any prospect list. So I think it still kind of counts. Uh, but how about this? I'll ask you, why don't you tell us a little bit about Mason Miller and why he might be a league winner for someone down the stretch. My first option, actually, it was going to be Colt Keith of Detroit. But uh, Michael, he saw that I I just absolutely adore Mason Miller. He's like, just talk about him. <laughs> He'll probably be back soon. Just talk about him and see how, um, just let it be and show some cool plots. So, yeah, Mason Miller, uh, currently on a rehab assignment. He's um, had a few games. He's had two at AAA um, thus far. And um, some great numbers already there. Um, fantastic whiff rates. Um, great swing and strike rates. His velocity again is back, um, is averaging around 99 on his fastball and it's peaked at 101.1 miles per hour. Um, and his, um, compare that to his major league stint. Um, it was hovering around 98 miles per hour. And then it peaked actually at 102 and a half. I didn't even realize how hard he threw that ball in his first game against the Cubs there, but uh, he, he he has a he's a flamethrower. He has one of the best arms in the minors, and again, he might be he is he's he is my favorite pitching prospect. Um, he has, comes with a lot of risk. Um, again, a lot of injuries. He had that shoulder injury, a UCL injury this season. Um, but again, his upside is astronomical. Um, he's just everywhere he's gone, he's just been fantastic. And and the and the graphic I've made, um, it's kind of just 
a nice summary here. So Lance Brzdowski, um, you might know him. He does all those uh, pitching write-ups on Twitter. He's all on, on Marquee Sports with the Cubs. Um, he he actually, I've made them this portal. He calls it the portal. And this is kind of like where he grabs all the stats and I can pick any date range here. But this is specifically is for Mason Miller um, season this year. And it just, everything kind of pops here. His velocities are upper echelon, near the 100 percentile. His stuff plus numbers are fantastic. He's not struggling to locate the ball. It's about average. But everything else, um, everywhere he's stopped in the minors, single A, double A, triple A, uh, he's just shoved. And again, the majors, again, a whole different beast, but he still held his own in those first few starts he had. Um, and they're probably going to kind of limit him the next um, the next few uh, next few weeks or so. Um, he only threw around 80 pitches in these rehab starts. He got three innings the first time and only one inning the last time. It was up to 30 pitches. He just had three strikeouts and two walks. But again, Mason Miller, his upside is fantastic. Um, league winning, potentially depending how Oakland deploys him, but his his per inning um, ratios and rates should be fantastic. Going down the line, streamer likes him. All the projection system like him a lot. Um, he's just my favorite pitching prospect. He probably has the highest upside of any anyone that hasn't debuted um, yet. Um, and that's I guess asking a lot when you have guys like Ricky Tiedemann. Andrew Painter, unfortunately, has that uh, Tommy John surgery. But again, I would put Mason Miller up with Tiedemann um, and Painter all in that. And Skeens as well. I think they all have very top, top of the line ace um, ace potential. And Mason Miller, he's shown in the majors. He's shown it all through the minors. Again, just some issues with his uh, some injuries. But in redraft, I think definitely you should try and target him. Find him if he's available. Um, but yeah, he... Hopefully he gets called up soon. I know he has one more rehab start, so you might, might have to wait um, not next week but the week after for it. But again, he's my favorite pitching prospect. Everything just screams ace when you look at him and watch him pitch. I uh, when you said um, his ratios are going to be elite, but we don't know exactly how Oakland will use him uh, innings wise. It, it definitely stood out as the guy that's probably going to be a lot more valuable in Roto down the stretch than he will in a points league. But uh, you never know, he, you know, because he's been injured, he hasn't, he probably isn't pushing his innings limit on the year, especially because I think he's, it's not the only injury he's dealt with uh, this season. So uh, Mason Miller could just be absolutely unleashed down, down the stretch. Now uh, it's funny. You mentioned you were going to pick Colt Keith because I'm pretty sure Michael was also considering picking Colt Keith. Uh, and Michael has already talked about Colt Keith, I believe, twice on this podcast. And so we decided instead of him doing that for a third time, uh, you guys have already heard us talk about Colt Keith. That would have been our choice to actually get the call. You heard it both uh, TJ Stats and Michael here wanted to pick Colt Keith. But unfortunately for us all, instead of Colt Keith, I'm allowing Michael to talk about Jason Dominguez of the New York Yankees. And I don't know if I'm the only one. And I think it must be because of the way he spells his name, Jason. I always want to do the, the Jason Derulo thing, uh, but with Dominguez and sets the exact number of syllables. So every time I see his name, I sing it in my head, like Jason Derulo would sing his name. And it, it, it just makes it so much worse that he's a Yankee and he's got that catchy little tune in my head. But Michael, um, you, you uh, talked about, 
other guys for our, our actual section for who got the call. Uh, so, of course, he has gotten the call this week. But why don't now you tell us about Dominguez? Yeah, so longtime listeners of the show probably know by now this section's become my arch enemy. You know, so much so that I've begun a campaign behind the scenes to switch up our approach next season. Far too often I find myself digging deep in for my fourth or fifth option because because we did a good job earlier in the season identifying most of the players that would get the call. And I figure our listeners would rather hear a breakdown of the most recent high-profile call-up rather than hear me speculate on Colt Keith for the third time about why the Tigers should have called him up. So Dominguez is certainly no stranger to the prospect people out there. In fact, the level of hype he received as an international signing was unprecedented. There were early comps of Mike Trout, Mickey Mantle, and Bo Jackson which may have set back the comp game and the international market for a few years. When someone getting that level of hype doesn't immediately go nuclear, it it opens up a lot of room for criticism. And I believe that's kind of where we stand with Dominguez to a certain degree. Obviously, he's still a highly regarded by a lot of people, but it almost feels like there's still a large group of managers that still won't believe it until they see it, you know, and people who just don't like the Yankees. So they think the hypes, it's just more not real. But Dominguez is listed with a below average hit tool. 65 grade raw power and plus speed as is the case with some of the power speed guys i i profile on here i believe a sit tool is underrated he's shown flashes of swing and miss in his game come through levels but he's also been extremely young along the way and always posted double digit walk rates and has hit the ball hard as it stands right now he profiles more as a big stolen base threat with decent power but as he matures i'd expect him to be a, a lot more of a home run threat and and i think his ability to steal bases will probably trend down I think he could be a 30-30 threat, particularly once it clicks in his early to mid-20s, but I think we're looking at more like a 35-15 type of player once he reaches his mid to late 20s, which is still a great player. But from a dynasty perspective, I've seen Dominguez ranked anywhere from the top 10 to like near the top 50 and everywhere in between. All the hype and disappointment aside, this is a 20-year-old who's about to make his MLB debut. He's stolen 40 bases this year, shown a strong ability to take walks and and hasn't even scratched the surface of his power potential. I still see him as a premium prospect and have no issues with him in the back end of a top 10 right now. I'm relatively cautious when it comes to most prospects in redraft leagues, So, but I'll certainly put a bid on Dominguez this weekend in my big leagues, but I'm not expecting to land him. And if I'm counting on a lot of young players to be anything more than like a lotto ticket for me, I probably don't have a very competitive team. Uh, I love his long-term appeal, sketchy about what he'll do out the gate this season, but... Uh, I'd have more confidence if he wasn't so young still, but this experience will be invaluable for next season. And I think he's a big part of fantasy futures. And uh, I just have to add um, a pro, a pro note uh, from a Red Sox fan about Dominguez. You said he is 20 years old. He's getting the call to the majors. This is an organization where the fans are constantly screaming about how they do not call up their dudes. They want them to. They just kick their feet around. I mean, Austin Wells, it feels like a guy who's been knocking on the door for quite some time. He's getting the call with Dominguez. The Yankees are breaking that mold that makes their fans so mad to call up this 20-year-old. He, The Yankees believe in this dude, and I know some of it is just getting butts in seats when they're having their worst year in forever. But I don't think they would waste that. They have other guys that would get fans excited. I think they really believe in Dominguez here. And I think you're absolutely right, Michael, that his value is way too suppressed from where you know the consensus is of how good of a player he can be because that hype he came in with was just the most absurd hype 
you could ever get. I, I thought that was a hilarious joke he made about it set the comp game back years. <laughs> that people just like he showed up and they're like, this is the next Mickey Mantle and Mike Trout, which you just can't say about any kid that young. I mean, you, you can't even say it about a 20 year old, but I'm not excited to see Dominguez. That's how good I think he will be because I think he's going to be a nightmare for the Red Sox for years to come. Uh, I think that is a great player to end on. Um, before we sign off here, I'm going to throw it back uh, to TJ Stats one last time. You, we showcased his amazing graphics all throughout the episode. Uh, we, we saw a few different types. Uh, Thomas, where can the people follow you to get more content, uh, content uh, like that for players you didn't even mention on the show? Yeah, so on my Twitter, um, I share a bunch of different plots, statistics, even hockey stuff too with the hockey season coming up. Um, can I say so, real yeah, quick, sure. I did notice you said hockey nerd and you put in parentheses and baseball. So is hockey like your main love or because right now it's all baseball stuff you're tweeting. It's obviously the hockey off season. Yeah, I always, I started pretty much started off as a hockey fantasy hockey kind of data guy not really, not even using Python or anything. It was more for like a spreadsheets and graphs and stuff and sharing insight and like fantasy news or whatnot. But with the baseball season coming around and I kind of like tapped into getting at, uh, tapped in the LV stats, the API and all that stuff, I just found it just super cool. And what I've done there is I have a whole pretty much a database of all the um, the one, the, the stadiums that have it. So they won't be AAA and then the Florida League and the single A. I have all their stat cast metrics and then I also have all the pitch metrics or I guess kind of pitch metrics, but for all the levels. So you can kind of see like their whiff rate, their swing rate, um, their swing strike rate um, for all the batters and all the pitchers and all the levels, including rookie ball. But I do, I will say, do not trust rookie ball um, whiff rates or swinging strike rates. They don't track those properly at all. Everyone has like a fit 30% swinging strike rate, um, which is absolutely absurd. But yeah, so every level I have all the all the metrics for them um you can find those on my patreon um again at tj stats and they're all all made in web apps um so if people are familiar with shiny or arp people in R might be familiar with shiny there's also shiny python so everything i do is uh in shiny python with the apps i share i also have spreadsheets of their stackcast data too so kind of a summary of a player if you want to do a quick quick rundown and see that oh jason dominguez has a really good max ev for his like 20 plate appearances in AAA thus far. But yes, yeah, so you can find everything there. It's all interactive. Um, a bunch of different plots there. Again, I showed some scatter plots, some rolling uh, with some rolling um, plots, um, the player summaries. And then with if people are interested in the hockey season, I have some hockey projections, which are going to be up on hashtag hockey. Um, so I work with them during the hockey season, get my projections there. I also have dynasty rankings as well. Um, and then also I have a schedule summary, which I'm, was very popular last year. So, um, again, a bunch of different stuff. I'm open to all different ideas and all sharing different, um, different metrics and just helping people out, be more informative, helping you win your fantasy leagues. And, and did I hear you mention earlier that, uh, Lance Bardowski uses, is how you say his last name? Uh, is that he uses your data? Yeah. So he has a whole, well, he asked me back in july because he saw one of my one of my um as initial kind of like layouts of my plots so he kind of commissioned me to make him uh to make him a specific one for him so like all his all the stuff he like 
daily his daily reports on his pictures um all the numbers i have are in that um he kind of grabs from my my um my apps and my all the i guess all the graphics i make too and yeah and i made it public to my patrons as well um but yeah he's he's been a great he's been very uh very helpful he's very insightful as well if you haven't followed him if you don't follow him please follow him he's one of the smartest baseball analysts um i've seen on twitter yeah i was gonna say if that isn't a just a ringing endorsement to to follow and trust what you're putting out there i don't i don't know what else would be because lance is a pretty big name in the uh baseball analytics world right now so that's very that is very cool be sure to give thomas a follow at tj stats on twitter and also be sure to subscribe to his patreon so you can get all that data to give yourself a huge edge on your competition um i of course will not be handing out my twitter because you should not follow me on twitter it is i'm on a streak of maybe like 50 tweets in a row about how horrible alex cora is then i don't think anyone wants to read that Uh, and michael of course can be found at mp richards 1981 be sure to check out our youtube um, subscribe and turn on notifications so you can catch all of our episodes as soon as they come out so you can beat your league mates to the waiver wires. And, of course, be sure to check out all the other baseball content that Triple Play Fantasy puts out. And as we're transitioning, it is officially football season. Go Patriots. Um, yes, I am also an obnoxious Patriots fan. Uh, be sure to check out everything Triple Play uh, Fantasy has to offer football-wise. Um, and with that, have a uh, we'll see you guys next week for Week 20.